last week. And the series is, as you can see, When the Devil Knocks. And, you know, I don't like to talk about the devil. He's not the one I want to focus on. I want to focus on Jesus. I don't want to focus on, on one whose uh, uh, stated purpose is to destroy me. Um, but the reason I'm excited about this series is that when the enemy comes knocking at our door, he knocks as one who's already defeated. He knocks as a defeated enemy. I love the story of Smith Wigglesworth. How many are familiar with Smith Wigglesworth? You've heard that name at least. Smith Wigglesworth was a uh, British evangelist in the low, late 19th, uh, early 20th century, and you know had a powerful supernatural ministry. And um, uh, he wrote one one day. He wrote about an experience which he had, in which he had an encounter with the devil. And I want to read that to you this morning. He and his wife, Polly, were, were in bed, and he says, We were sleeping one night when the manifestation of evil filled the room and the spirit of fear gripped us both. Now, stop right there for a minute. I've felt that before. I've felt that where you felt like the enemy was right there in the room. Now, I didn't see him, but I've had that experience, um, and it was terrifying. Um, as an adult, I was, I was terrified. So, you know, he has an experience like that. It says, the, the manifestation of evil filled the room and spirit of fear gripped both of us. Polly was so frightened she could not open her eyes. I suddenly sat up in the bed and saw the devil. I rubbed my eyes to be sure it was him. I said, oh, it's only you. I then turned to Polly and told her to go back to sleep. It was nothing of consequence. And I laid my head back down. Suddenly, an overwhelming sense of peace and love filled the room, and we had the most blessed sleep ever. I loved that story. Because as terrifying and as threatening and as evil as the enemy is, when you know who you are in Christ and you know that he, the devil has already been defeated, you're not going to be intimidated by him. You're not going to be intimidated by his attacks. See, the purpose behind this series is that we would be able to recognize three primary ways that Satan attacks our lives so we can be prepared to resist him. Um, um, you know, James tells us, he said, you know, submit yourself to God, resist the devil, and he'll flee from you. Because the reality is, we are engaged in a battle. It's going on all around us. We've talked about this before. And even though the battle is going on in the spiritual realm and we can't see it, we are right smack dab in the middle of it. It is going on around us. Uh, uh, and, and, you know, I've said before, it's like our, our lives are the battlefield, you know. And, and we're the battlefield, we're the trophy, you know, the prize, whichever, you know, and, and, and there's this battle going on for us. And, um, but sometimes when you're right in the middle of something, it can be difficult to recognize what's going on. For example, uh, when interpersonal conflicts happen in relationships... And there's somebody that, you know, you're in conflict with and you're just having a really rough time and it seems like they're doing everything they can to make you miserable and all of that and, and all this stuff is going on. It's easy to begin to see people with whom you're in conflict and with whom you're having difficulty as the enemy, right? You know, they just seem like they're out to destroy me. You know, that's, that's, that's the enemy. And, and the thing is, they're not. 
The Apostle Paul tells us in Ephesians 6.12, he says, we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies. I mean, the fight is real, right? The fight is real, and it can affect our relationships, um, but it's not the people who are the enemy. He says, we're not fighting against flesh and, flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities in the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. And that's an important truth to realize because it has tremendous impact on our relationships. Tremendous impact on, on how we relate to the people around us. You know, sometimes when we're in conflict with people, we begin to view the enemy uh, or view them as the enemy. But Paul says people aren't the enemy. The devil's the enemy. Our enemy is the enemy. People are not our enemy. And that's worth remembering, especially if it's another believer. Sometimes, you know, once in a while, one believer can have conflict with another one. Have you ever, has that ever happened to you? You know, no, not at all. It happened to me one time, I remember. And it's good to remember, I love what John Wimber used to always say, my brother is never my enemy. So that's good to, to, to keep that in, in, in mind. The person is not the enemy. It's the spiritual force that's at work in the situation that's the enemy. Now, last week we said there were three strategies that the enemy uses, at least three strategies he uses to attack us. And we looked at the first one last week. We said that Satan is the deceiver who attacks our mind with lies. You know, he does that by, a, he, he attacks the word of God and he tries to twist what God says for the purpose of getting us to doubt God's goodness. Because if he can get us to doubt God's goodness, then he's brought all kinds of insecurity and all kinds of trust issues in our lives and all kinds of worry and all kinds of fear if he can get us to doubt God's goodness. Next week, we're going to see what that, that, that Satan is the destroyer who will attack our will with pride. But this week, we're going to see, I want to talk about the fact that Satan is the accuser who attacks our heart with accusations constantly throwing accusations at us and against us. Much like two political candidates, uh, or, or, or opponents, I should say, in an election year, right? Just like that, just constantly throwing accusations back and forth, only the thing is he never lets up. At least with politicians, once the election is over, you stop getting all those cards in the mail, you stop seeing all the ads on TV, and or either that or they just move over to the, the news, you know, whatever. But, but it, it lets up a little bit. Um, not so with the accuser. He's constantly accusing us or just waiting for us to slip up so he can accuse us some more. And the thing is about accusations, whether they're true or not, they can hurt. They can hurt, right? But they don't have to defeat us. They don't have to defeat us. Isaiah prophesied, uh, Isaiah 54, 17 says, No weapon turned against you will succeed. You will silence every voice raised up to accuse you. Accusations are one of the key weapons that the enemy uses against us, but they don't have to defeat us. Now, I want to take a look at our accuser. Listen to what the Apostle John said in Revelation 12, 10. John has this vision. He's taken up into heaven, and, and the, the spiritual realm has just been opened to him. He, he, he gets a, a, a view of the spiritual realm, and, and you know he's shown things to come and things that are, and and all this stuff going on. And then he says in verse 10 of Revelation 12, Then I heard a loud voice shouting across the heavens. Okay, John's saying this. I heard a loud voice shouting across the heavens. It has come at last, salvation and power, and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ. 
For the accuser of our brothers and sisters has been thrown down to earth, the one who accuses them before God day and night. The word accuser there is the Greek word diablos. It is used 35 times in the New Testament, and it means devil, adversary, accuser. That's that's what the word means, just, just what we think it does. As the Revelation says, the devil is the accuser of our brothers and sisters. He has been thrown down. He is defeated, but that doesn't stop him. Day and night, he continues to accuse. He continues to hurl accusations at us. And when he accuses, he lies. Remember last week we said that the devil's a liar and the father a lies? When he lies and he accuses, he's got one goal in mind. And you know what that is? He wants to take you down. That's his goal. He wants to take you down. He's already been defeated, and he wants to take you down with him. It's like, you know, he's defeated. He's going down. He's reaching out his arms for whoever he can get, whoever he can grab to grab hold of and take down with him. And here's how he works. When he tempts us, he lies. He lies. It's like, go ahead, do it. It's no big deal. I mean, everybody else is doing it, right? Besides, you deserve this. You deserve it. And you won't get caught. Nobody's going to know about it. I mean, he just one lie after another, he keeps, keeps hurling them at us. And, 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 and what he's doing is he's setting you up. He's setting you up in order to take you down. And he will say whatever he can to deceive you, to lie to you and to deceive you into sin, whatever he can. And we need to recognize that. We need to remember that because sometimes the lies that he says sound attractive and we start to believe them. So last week we talked about how he deceived Eve in the garden, you know, questioning God's word and trying to get her to doubt God's goodness. I mean, if the devil can get us to doubt that God is always good, then he can put a major stumbling block in our lives. So when the devil talks to you about God, he lies. He lies. When he talks to you about God, he lies. God doesn't care. God doesn't know. He's not aware of your situation or he doesn't love you. It's, it's, it's lies. He does not want you to know the truth about God because the more you know the truth and the more you understand the truth about God and his goodness and the scope of his love for you, then the more you'll want to live for God, the more you'll want to please him, the more you'll just say, I'm going all in with Jesus. So he lies to keep us from that. The more you grasp the goodness of God, the more you're going to be able to trust him, even when it's difficult to understand or you don't understand what is going on in the middle of your situation, why this is happening, why this doesn't change, and why this, you know. Is, if, you, if you doubt the goodness of God, then it becomes difficult to trust him. So when the devil talks to you about God, he lies. And when the devil talks to you about you, he accuses. He accuses. He attacks your worth. Things like, you know, you're no good. You're worthless. Nobody could love you. You're pathetic. You'll never amount to anything. You ever heard any of those? Yeah. See, the thing is, he, 
He's got the same thing. He just keeps saying to so many different people, to all of us really. But he, he keeps throwing out these accusations that attack not only what we've done, but who we are. So today I want to talk about how to overcome the voices of the accuser. And we're going to turn to the writings of the prophet Zechariah. And I want to set this up for you before we get into it. Zechariah has a vision. And it's a, of a, it's a vision of a courtroom in heaven. And in this courtroom, there's three people. First of all, we see God. He's the judge. God, the Lord, he's, he's the judge. And then there's Joshua. Now, Joshua is the high priest, and he's the one that's on trial here. So he's the accused. And then we see Satan, who is the prosecutor. Satan is trying to convince God of Joshua's guilt. Let's read starting in verse 1 of Zechariah 3. Then, then he showed me Joshua the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord and Satan standing at his right side to accuse him. The Lord said to Satan, The Lord rebuke you, Satan, and the Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is not this man a burning stick snatched from the fire? Now Joshua was dressed in filthy clothes as he stood before the angel. So, here we've got it. Joshua standing before the angel of the Lord. Okay, now, whenever you see the phrase, the angel of the Lord in the Old Testament, uh, uh, most scholars or theologians say that that is, is a, uh, a pre-incarnate or an Old Testament appearance of Christ. Okay, now, because remember, Christ is eternal. He always was and always will be. It wasn't just when Jesus was born, all of a sudden, oh, there's a second member of the Trinity. Oh, there's, you know, the, you know, it, it wasn't that. He existed ever from eternity past. What happened at Jesus' birth is the Son of God took on a human body and was now 100% God and 100% human. But when you see the phrase, the angel of the Lord, they call that a Christophany, uh, in, in the Old Testament, it's an Old Testament appearance of the Word, or of, of Christ, the second person in the Trinity. Yeah, Old Testament appearance of Him, before uh, the birth of Christ. So, anyway, Satan is standing here accusing Joshua, and the issue is this. Joshua has filthy robes. He's got filthy robes. Uh, and he was the high priest. Now, as high priest, his robes were supposed to be spotless. They were always supposed to be clean because filth in scriptures was always symbolic of sin. But his robes are filthy. So Satan comes up and says, look at those filthy robes that high priest is wearing. He call him a high priest. He thinks he's, he calls himself, look at him. And he's pointing to his robes and he's accusing him. And the Lord rebuked him. And when he rebuked him, he said, is, this man not, is not this man a burning stick snatched from the fire? He calls him a burning snick, stick snatched, burning snick. <laughs> Here I go again. <laughs> He calls him a burning stick snatched from the fire. In other words, okay, yeah, 
robes are dirty. He is guilty. But guess what? He's not going to receive the punishment. It's not going to be placed on him. When I read this, I, I'm, you know, it always reminds me of, of uh, uh, my, my life verse, my favorite verse, Colossians 1.13. He has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and set us in the kingdom of the son that he loves. Rescued us from the dominion of darkness. That's what I think of when I think of snatched from the fire. Because when I think of the verse in Colossians that I just said, when I think of that, I think of a hand reaching into a field that's the flaming field full of people, you know, just just burning, and, and, and this hand reaches in and snatches one out, reaches in and snatches me out, and sets me in a good place. That's what I think of when I think of snatched from the fire. So here's the thing about Satan's accusations. The devil is the accuser. And, you know, sometimes when he accuses us, he's right. Sometimes we are guilty. You could say guilty of sin. Sometimes we are. Sometimes we've done what he accuses us of doing. Sometimes we are what he's accuses us, what he's accused us of, uh, of being. That was our identity. We stand before God, guilty as charged, but here's the good news. When we stand there with the devil just hurling accusations, when I, 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 this picture keeps coming to my mind when I talk about hurling accusations. You ever see a, a, a batter in a, a, a batter's you know, cage and, and the automatic ball thing, you know, and you ever seen movies where that thing goes crazy and all of a sudden it starts... Th- you know, throwing baseballs one right after another and pelting them. That's what I think of, okay? So anyway, that's just things like that pop into my mind. But anyway, uh, you know, but, but, you know, the enemy's hurling accusations at him, but there's someone else who's also standing there with us. Jesus is standing there as our advocate. See, when our enemy accuses us, Jesus is our advocate, an advocate is somebody who publicly supports or recommends someone. It's the definition. Somebody who publicly supports or recommends someone. It's someone who fights for another person. The Apostle John wrote to the church and said in 1 John 2, 1, My dear children, I'm writing this to you so that you will not sin. I mean, that's what we want, right? We don't want to sin. We don't want to, to do things that, that displease God. You know, I'm writing this so that you will not sin, but... If anyone does sin, we have an advocate who pleads our case before the Father. He is Jesus Christ, the one who is truly righteous. When we do sin, when we do sin, Jesus is our advocate. He publicly stands up for us, stands up before the Father. He publicly stands up for us. And when the devil hurls his accusations, Jesus stands up and says, not so fast. Maybe they did do what you say. Maybe they are guilty like you say. But their sin does not have the final word. The final word belongs to Jehovah Sidkenu. Now, Jehovah Sidkenu is a, uh, it's an Old Testament name, one of the compound names of, Jeho- uh, uh, of Jehovah, of Yahweh, compound names of God. That, that describe his character, describe who he is, and it means the Lord is my righteousness. There's several of them. There's Jehovah Jireh, the Lord is my provider. provider, um, provider. There's Jehovah Shalom, the Lord is my peace. 
Jehovah uh, uh, Makedesh, the Lord is my sanctifier. Jehovah Rapha, the Lord is my healer. There's several of them. But Jehovah Sidkenu is the Lord is my righteousness. Now, let me say that a little differently. Jehovah Sidkenu is the Lord is my righteousness. He is my righteousness, and that's what defines me. That's what says who I am and what I am. So let's pick back up in, in Zechariah 3, 4. He's standing there before the Lord. The devil has just hurled accusations to him. And then in verse 4, the angel said to those who were standing before him, take off his filthy clothes. Then he said to Joshua, see, I have taken away your sin, and I have put fine garments on you. Jesus takes the filthy garments off of us. He takes our sin off of us, and in, it's in their place, he gives us clean garments. He removes our sin and gives us his righteousness. Isaiah 1.18 says, come, let us settle this, says the Lord. Not just, you know, talk about it, let's, let's settle this. Though your sins are scarlet, they'll be as white as snow. Though they are crimson red, they will be like wool. Prophet Isaiah said in Isaiah 61.10 says, For he has clothed me with garments of salvation and wrapped me in a robe of righteousness. That's what the Lord does for us. In the story of the prodigal son, you're, uh, most of you are familiar with that, I'm sure. This is son, you know, gets his inheritance early, goes and wastes it. You know, wastes his inheritance, partying and, you know, and having a so-called good time and everything else until his money runs out and his friends do the same. He, 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 he comes home. You know, he's, he's scraping by, feeding, <coughs> feeding pigs, you know, because that's the only thing he can get to support himself. And that's not really doing the job because he's wanting to eat what they eat. He wants wanting to eat the pig slop, right? Well, <coughs> he... You know, so the, you know, fun just, the son just says, hey, you know, my father's hired hands have it better than this. I'm going to go home and see if he'll just take me in as one of those. And, you know, he comes, so he, he, he goes home. The father's looking for him a long, you know, sees him coming a long way off because his, his heart has always gone out to him. He knew what he was doing. He knew what was going on. But, it, but, but you know, he just, he, he, he sat there just waiting in, and, and hoping one day he's going to come home. One day he's going to come home. One day he's going to come home. He looks up one day. He sees his son coming a long way off. He just, just you know, runs for him. He just, you know, he he jumps off the porch. He runs out there, reach, runs out to meet him, and he throws his arms around him. You know, gives him the biggest bear hug. He's so happy that the son can't even get out what he's trying to, what he starts to say. He goes, you know, I've sinned against God and I've sinned against you. And and the father says, no, 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 enough. And he says to his servants, bring him what? Bring him the best. Robe. Put a ring on his finger, sandals on his feet, bring him the best robe. And he does that, the best robe, a clean robe, and puts it on him. All of this imagery of taking off filthy robes and putting on clean ones, it's a picture of what Jesus does for us when he removes our sin, like taking off a filthy garment. Parents, let me just say one word, blowout. Have you ever had that? I'm not, have you had that? 
Have you had that happen to you, to your kid? Spin out, now I'm going to add one, one more word to it. Toddler blowout. <laughs> right? I mean, get that image in your mind. Think of that, you know, up the back and down the legs and, and up the sides. And that, you know, that's what we stand like. That's what we stood like in our sin before God. But the thing is, he removes our sin. He takes it off. He cleans us up and he gives us the robe of his righteousness. Not one that we earned ourselves, not the one that we went out and bought, but he gives us the robe of his righteousness, the best robe. Back to Joshua in Zechariah 3, verse 5. Then I said, put a clean turban on his head. So they put a clean turban on his head and clothed him while the angel of the Lord stood by. The angel of the Lord gave this charge to Joshua. This is what the Lord Almighty says. If you'll walk in obedience to me and keep my requirements, then you will govern my house and have charge of my courts, and I will give you a place among these standing here. So Zechariah says, put a clean turban on Joshua's head. Now according to Exodus 28.36, since Joshua was the high priest, there would be a plate on the front of that turban and it would say, holy to the Lord. Holy to the Lord. That's what described Joshua. Not the filthy you know, robes that he was wearing. But he's now holy to the Lord. Then the Lord gave this charge to Joshua. It says, if you'll walk in obedience to me, if you'll keep my requirements and I'll govern my house and have charge of my courts, or you, you will govern my house and have charge of my courts and I will give you a place among these standing here. So here's what's going on. Joshua the high priest is guilty. He's been accused and he's guilty. His robes were filthy. His life wasn't what it should have been, especially as that of high priest. So Satan comes and accuses him before the Lord. And, you know, the accusations were true. The robe was filthy. But Joshua has an advocate who stands up for him, and his sin is removed from him. And he's now clothed with the righteousness of the Lord. There is no, therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, Romans 8.1 says. No condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Then the high priestly turban is placed back on Joshua's head because the Lord wasn't done with him yet. It wasn't just a he was the high priest it was a high priestly turban that said holy to the lord and he's given in charge see instead of the lord instead of looking at Joshua's past the lord looks at his future and he says i still have work for you i still have a ministry for you and if you'll put your past mistakes behind you and you'll leave your sin behind you, and you begin to walk in my ways, I am going to use you once again because I'm not looking at your past. I'm looking at you standing there as the high priest in, the, in, in, in robes of righteousness with your sin completely removed. If you're here today 
and Satan has been hurling accusations at you. May or may not be true. And you feel disqualified from his service. You think you've blown your chance. God's done with you. He's moved on to somebody else. The Lord is saying the same thing to you. He is Jehovah Sidkenu. He is the Lord, your righteousness. And he has removed your garments of sin. He's wrapped you in a robe of righteousness. And he says, now walk in my ways because he has plans to use you in his kingdom. You are not disqualified. You see, the devil knows your name but calls you by your sin. God knows your sin, but calls you by your name. The devil accuses you to try to drive you away from God, but God doesn't listen to the devil's accusations because that's not what matters. What matters is what Jesus has done for you. See, the devil will come against us. God calls your name, and he calls you to himself to walk with him and to live for him. The devil's going to come against us, but we have an advocate, Jesus, who stands with us and fights by our side for us. So when the enemy comes and says, but you did this, or you are that, or you just say, I don't have time to deal with this, take that to Jesus. Tell him, he's my advocate, he's my lawyer, he's my defense. And he's going to fight for me. And because of that, it's a fight we can win when we fight God's way from a position of victory that's already won. See, we talk about this battle, and the battle is real, the struggle is real, and all of that, and every one of us goes through it. But, the battle's been won. When Jesus defeated the enemy on the cross, and he rose from the grave. The battle, the victory, Jesus won it right there. And that's the victory that he gives us. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, the Apostle Paul says, For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretense, every pretension that self sets itself up against the knowledge of God. All the enemy's lies, the lies, the accusations, all that he tries to do. 
We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. The enemy comes throwing things at us. I'm not going to give my mind to that. I'm not going to give in to that thought. I'm not going to give it. You know, take it to Jesus. Enemy, just take those lies, take those accusations, take them to Jesus. Ah, but you really are guilty. I didn't mean to point to you. <laughs> Sorry about that. <laughs> Steve, you raise your hand. You have a volunteer to be guilty. Okay. No, no. (laughs) Where was I? (laughs) Oh, but you really, yeah. (laughs) But you really are guilty. Said, (laughs) I know I was, but I'm not anymore because you can go talk to him about it. You can go talk to Jesus about it. You see that thing right there? You see that cross? You thought you had him. You thought you had him down. You thought you had him defeated. You thought you had him destroyed. But yeah, the third day was coming. And he rose from the grave. And when he did that, he broke the power of sin and death. You can do whatever you want to this physical body. But one day, I'm going to be resurrected like him. And who's going to have the last laugh? Oh, my. Um, Let's have the worship team come on up. The enemy may be accusing you this morning. Maybe this week has been hurling accusations at you. And maybe it's true. But Jesus says that's not what defines you. Jesus defines you. What he says defines you. And if he says he has taken our sin and thrown it as far as the east is from the west... I think we should believe him. I mean, after all, we said last week, if somebody predicts their own death and says he's going to be raised from the dead and it happens, we should probably listen to what that person says. And there's only one that's ever done that. He may be accusing you, may be true. Instead of trying to defend yourself, throw yourself on the mercy of the court. Throw yourself at the mercy of Jesus. Let him defend you. Let him be your advocate. Let's stand. I want to pray. And, and, you know, maybe you've prayed this, maybe you've prayed before and, and have given yourself, you, you know, to Jesus. That's awesome. 
And you've probably never done anything wrong since then, have you? <laughs> or maybe you've never taken that step. I just want to invite you right now as we pray just to say in your heart, Jesus, I'm giving you my life. I'm giving you my heart. Take away my sin. Completely remove it from me. I want that robe of righteousness. Jehovah said, Canoe, I want you to be my righteousness. And I want to live for you. I just want to pray over you. And if, 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 if that's where you are, just in your heart, just in your heart, agree to that and say, yeah, that's what he said. That's, that's what I want. You don't have to get words right. You've got to get the heart right. Lord, we confess our sin and we confess where we've gone our own way and we've lived for ourselves. We, 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 we acknowledge that, Lord. And we want to just give it all to you right now. The enemy has been accusing and so much of what he says, yeah, we're guilty of. Jesus, be our advocate before the Father. Have mercy on us. Forgive us our sin. Take off the filthy robes and wrap a robe of righteousness around us. Forgive us and cleanse us. And Lord, silence the accuser. Silence his voice. We break the power of the accusing of the accusations of the enemy, we break the power that those have held over us right now in Jesus' name. They're broken by the authority of Jesus. Jesus, you stand up and you advocate for us. You're our defense. You've taken our filthy robes and you've replaced them with a robe of your righteousness. And now we take captive those accusing thoughts, and we throw them down. We want to walk in your ways, Lord, not ours. So break the power of accusations. Break the power of, of false beliefs about ourselves. And let us see who we are in you, Jesus. The truth of that, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. If you made a decision this morning that you wanted your sin just taken off and removed from you and that robe of righteousness, and you want a relationship with Jesus, there's a place on your, on your uh, uh, green card that, that um, on the back, I believe it is, or somewhere, where there's a box you can just check, I said yes to Jesus. Just go ahead and check that. And in just a moment, the ushers are going to come, and they're going to...